0: Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast, sitting alongside Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It is going great, Andrew. How is it going it's with go- you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, if this is the first time you are listening to us, go check out all of our work. Go to our website, focuscompounding.com. We blog about ideas there. If you're interested in our money management services, uh, click the Invest With Us link. Um, check out all of our other podcasts. We're at like podcast 143, 144, Tons of different topics and we have no plans of stopping. Leave us a rating review that goes a long way as well. So in today's podcast, we are going to be talking about spin-offs. And um, you know, obviously we, we said in one of our more recent podcasts how a lot of the spin-offs that you've looked at recently, they've mm-hmm. all been kind of I mean garbage I guess you could say. They just haven't been that good.
1: That's true. Yeah, uh, the financials maybe have been a little bit more um indebted they, everything. They're just garbage, but that they've they've been carrying more debt yeah. than I think they have in the past and uh, or it was some almost everything's carrying enough debt that it's close to not being investment grade. And um they get bid up in price. So, I mean, it's okay if that they uh, aren't the best businesses or whatever if they spin off at really low prices, but just the combination, the spinoffs have been happening at prices that seem to me like the prices you put on sort of normal stocks, yeah. and they also have been more leverage, and usually it's something that the company wants to get rid of. So, yeah, I have said that in recent years, people ask about, you know, that was supposed to be one of the things that we were... Uh, doing with managed accounts and with the fund is spinoffs. And, uh, we haven't really we looked at Yeah, I mean, we look, but yeah, we have not found things. Um, yeah. So it hasn't been a good area compared to like we talk about uh, overlooked stocks, Yeah, uh, like uh, less liquid and, and, and smaller market caps and things, much more interesting lately than uh, spinoffs. Yeah, I think spinoffs aren't as good an area as they were a few years ago.
0: Yeah, and, and I would agree. And I think that's pretty interesting and I wonder why, number one, but I'm looking at this spinoff list and it's talking about the performance of the stock since uh, the stock was spun off, and I'm just seeing a ton of red on my screen. Um, now there are some that, that are green, and maybe it'll be a good, uh, good exercise to really kind of go through the ones that are up like 200 percent, yeah, um, and and compared this to the ones that are down, you know, 60 percent, 80
1: percent, 90 percent to see, you know, if there are any sort of uh, the, you know, differences and stuff. This seems to be having both sides, by the way. This is a Remain Co and the spin, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I should also point out because when people ask of successful times I've invested. Uh, this is not statistically true. So there have been research done that does not show that the remaining part of the company is more successful than the spin. Uh-huh. But in my experience, I've had more success investing in the remaining uh, part of the company than the actual spin-off. And see, that's so different from what a lot of people think. Both tend to outperform, I mean, in terms of studies around the world, but the spin tends to outperform more. Uh, in, in most studies that I've ever seen. But it is true that in the couple of cases I can think of, uh, I invested in the remaining company instead. Got it. Yeah. So I'm just
0: kind of curious to see, and maybe we could talk about, I guess, your experience investing in mm-hmm. these companies that are kind of going through a spinoff where it's the re- remaining company and, and kind of what um, drew you to it. And I guess, okay. because it's like, for example, KLX Inc., we've talked about KLX yeah.
1: uh, Energy, um, KLXI is a ticker, and a then, few times. of a other- spin and, a, and then a spin. Yeah. So I was very interested in KLX-I, uh, the, the aerospace and then energy services part, mainly for the aerospace because it was spun off from what, BE, BE Aerospace? Yeah. yeah. And then KLX Energy Services was uh, basically a spinoff of KLX-I because Boeing was buying KLX-I, right?
0: Yeah. And I'm just trying to think about, I mean, why did we stay away from KLXE? Because I guess from people that were reading about the spinoff, it seemed like a very interesting situation. Mm-hmm. It was being spun off with no debt, right? Right. I think it was going to get a nice cash payment from the mm-hmm. company, and around three times EBITDA, or something like that, three yeah. to four times EBITDA. So right. it, was, it was trading very cheap. Uh, management was compensated. It pretty purely much purely f- incentivized. I was going to say that, it yeah. pretty much fit the mold of yeah. you could be a stock market genius right. for the situation that you would want. Um, you know in a spinoff yeah like
1: the incentives and everything yeah. and I think
0: the stock is down like what I mean I don't even know it's got to be I don't even know what it's at right now but it's just gotten slaughtered
1: yeah so one to be uh, honest and you know and this it's at 570 uh, I don't care that much about incentives a lot of other people care a lot more about incentives than I do I don't know why that is exactly they don't it doesn't impress me that much when management something takes a big stake that way instead um, just, and they had a very successful track record by the way They do, of being serial acquirers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would just, they would look like they were going to be a serial acquirer. Uh, They looked like they might leverage up again, which they did. And um, to buy a lot of other things, Uh, I didn't think they did a good job necessarily of buying the things that formed KLX Energy Services when it was part of KLXI. Uh, and basically just, I wasn't sure they were going to generate a lot of free cash flow. The industry is just an industry that I didn't think we wanted to be in. And, uh, that's basically it. I thought it was possibly a very good spin off, but very, very speculative. I just thought, um, it's, uh, it's, would it, do you think you would have been more
0: attracted to it because of the price as opposed to the business? Yes. That's the reason to be attracted to it. Yeah. So maybe that's a way to, I guess, sort of mitigate against this. I mean, because we could talk about. um, Nothing about the business attracted me at all. Okay. Got it. So, I mean, there there you go. There's there's (laughs) the answer to the question.
1: How do you kind of stay away from these? But I didn't think it was that expensive when it spun off, in terms of, I mean, you can. I read the the history of the deal about what companies were interested in making a bid and why they uh, and what management kind of thought if it was fair. Um, different things about like what Boeing would say okay well if you include this then we'll do this deal if you don't what the price would be other people who just want to bid for one part of it it's a whole thing in the proxy statement that you can see I think they identify them as like company a company B but you can see who's offering what amounts um and then like okay we'll offer this amount but you have to make sure that it doesn't include the energy services company or we'll offer this amount just for the energy services company and we couldn't get financing for it or whatever um you could see all the sorts of the different offers the consideration for it and uh, so it didn't spin off at a price that seemed weird compared to what those offers were so sure. it seemed like there were real private um uh, you know offers that weren't that far from where it was and now it's a lot cheaper than that mm-hmm. um But no, I don't like the business and stuff, no. Got it, so business first. Okay, so let's talk about Hamilton Beach Brands
0: and NACO Industries. What attracted you more to NACO than HBB?
1: I don't like Hamilton Beach Brands as a business.
0: So again, it's the business itself.
1: Yeah. So Hamilton Beach Brands, it's not that it's a terrible business or something, but Hamilton Beach Brands, uh, I think, has not grown uh, in 20 or 30 years, really, uh, it, in terms of pricing. I, I, You know, I can't prove that because I can't look at the volume and things exactly. I don't have, um, you know... Uh, I don't have people took pictures of what the prices were there at that moment, but I just believe that the pricing hasn't improved, uh, in a very long time. I don't think it's kept pace with inflation. And so that concerned me. Uh, I don't think that it has a lot of bargaining power, uh, with companies like, uh, Amazon, I mean yes Amazon, but like Walmart which is the most obvious one So just so people know this is the company that makes crock pots and microwaves and things and in fact It owns some of the other brands that you might think are competing brands, but they're actually not There's also Hamilton Beach brands, but it's the small appliance section that you go to in like a Walmart or a Target or something like that Um, And also would be sold on Amazon and uh, I just didn't think they had a lot of bargaining power and stuff I also thought the price that people wanted to put on it was very high I mean A lot of people wrote up Hamilton Beach Brands instead of writing up NACO, and to be honest, before it happened, and we own a lot of NACO, so people know this, I thought that the prices that people were putting on NACO were extremely low and the prices on Hamilton Beach Brands extremely high in the sense of if I was asked to appraise the company before it split up, how much would I assign to NACO and how much to Hamilton Beach Brands, I would assign a lot more to NACO. um, How were they valuing NACO? EV to EBITDA, comparing it to other coal companies. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has anything to do with other coal companies. And then uh, Hamilton Beach Brands, I think that they EV to EBIT ratios and stuff that they put on it, I think were very high, and in part because there have been acquisitions of companies in the same sort of segment, you know, using a lot of private owner value and stuff. Um, I just didn't think the future was necessarily a lot better for Hamilton Beach Brands than it was for NACO. I understand that there'll be small appliances in 30 years from now, and there there won't be uh, a lot of uh, utilities using coal in 30 years, but Um, just the economics of it, I think are much more favorable than the NACA than to Hamilton Beach. Got it. What about BWX technologies? Explain that situation, which side you bought and why? So I actually bought both because I bought before the spin happened. This one was a little bit more complicated because there were three parts. There was Was a popular spinoff. I don't know if it was a popular spinoff. That's a good question. I'm not sure it was a popular spinoff. But uh, there was M-Power, which they were shutting down, or I was hoping they were going to shut down, which was uh, modular nuclear power. Uh, It's uh a... I don't know, it's a nuclear reactor that's maybe 500 square feet or something like that. It's it's the kind of thing that you could fit on a basically like a, a rail car kind of thing. Okay. So it's that small, really small. Uh, for a reactor, I mean that's not small, but for a nuclear reactor, trust me, that's very small. And, um, and uh, so the hope was to use that as like a technology to go into some parts of the world Um, where the the client using it could just operate it for like five years without any refueling or something, which would be very simple and and would be a modular power and and a lot of it. Uh, but realistically, they weren't going to start making money on that until way into the next decade, if ever. And uh, I think on a DCF basis, it just didn't make any sense. Um, And so I was hoping they would shut it down eventually, even though it's an interesting technology. But uh, they did. And then so that was money losing when they were combined as a combined company. So that made their overall results look worse. And then they also had um, what became, I guess, Babcock and Wilcox – oh, no, B&W Enterprises, they called it, which is the uh, part that did mainly maintenance – the the business I thought was good was maintenance on coal power plants because the company Babcock and Wilcox – had uh installed a lot of the boilers in u.s um coal power plants which i thought is a good business maintenance on u.s coal power plants for various reasons um if you install the original boiler then you usually get to have the maintenance work on it and so while they're like razor blade yeah and so and they last for a very long time and stuff elevators Um, and stuff yeah, but just so people know, Babcock and Wilcox—the entire like basis of their existence, their technology, uh, their all the returns that they've ever made and stuff—it's all from having uh, being the best at doing stuff with boilers. And actually, there's some companies in the rest of the world that trace their roots back to that. And um, and the names, but some people know the names of who Babcock and Wilcox were, and, and that's uh, why. So it, it traces back, you know. Like 150 years in terms mm-hmm. of it, so boilers became really important in coal uh, power stuff, but it also became very important in nuclear. BwX Technologies, their thing mainly is um, uh, nuclear, having to do with in the Navy, so uh, reactors on um, submarines and uh, carriers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which company did you hold? I held BwX Technologies because what happened was, although B and W Enterprises was cheap. After the spin off, and I thought that it had an okay, not a good future or something, but it does industrial stuff, and um, uh, it, it does, which is similar to the maintenance that they do on coal power plants in the US. I thought that, it, you know, over time you could kind of milk that and stuff if they were very conservative about how they did it and could produce a lot of free cash flow. What they did really worried me, which is they went into, um, like new areas of technology. So trying to avoid the association with coal. So like um, things like waste to energy and and just uh, greener things, uh, newer things. And an engineering company, I don't want them doing things they've never done before. That would worry me a lot. Sure.
0: So um, did they now, what was the debt position? Did they have cash? I mean, I'm just trying to nail down like what made you buy or or hold BWX technologies as opposed to the other side to kind of, you know, like okay, so they have long-term contracts with the Navy, which we've spoken about before, mm-hmm. which is obviously a very good quality of a good business. Right? Um, do you remember? Did they have debt? Do they have like net cash? Do you remember the the capital there
1: was, structure? Uh, some debt. They don't need any capital, uh, so I don't remember details about that. Uh, the returns on like the BWX Technologies part, the n- returns on the net tangible assets for the Navy business is like basically infinite. Uh-huh. Um, I also don't think the contracts are important. I mean, they do have contracts, but I don't think they're important because it's. Uh, uh, monopoly monopsony so there's one buyer and one seller realistically mm-hmm. um, and I also don't think that the Navy generally prioritizes saving money as opposed to other things that they could do uh, as well so um, yeah re- I mean realistically I just I thought that the business was amazing. And then what about management? I mean was there anything that you thought about management? Did you Were
0: they with the company for a while? What was that situation like?
1: That was interesting um, so I thought management was saying good things about M-power. Uh I, I just felt like they were going to shut it down. They didn't exactly say they were going to shut it down, but just they kind of said things as if they might be thinking in terms of a DCF or something, and if they were, then they would shut it like down. Like what? saying that, the, they were they worried about the value of they it understood or the present value. They understood that if this is something that doesn't bring in revenue for a very long time, it doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. So, um, and also, I should to be fair, to the company on that. I always think their intention was that they would uh, commercialize the technology and then they would collect a royalty on it. Uh, Babcock is like never just built off-the-shelf stuff and then sold it like on an assembly line type thing. It's always custom stuff that they've done. So, mm-hmm. I think they only ever intended to collect a royalty on the technology. Someone else would actually build it or something. I don't think they were really gonna pump out a ton of different um modular uh nuclear um uh, reactors I, you know but and it was fine technology it's just that you know i don't think <laughs> I, I never thought they were going to make money on it for like 10 years or more so if you just do the math on that if you're losing money up front and no revenue is going to come in for 10 years that's not a business that makes sense on like a present value sort of way sure
0: what about IAA and KAR i know you looked at the idea and a lot, yeah. of, a lot of investors were very excited about it because of um, Cobart, yep, yep, Cobart I love the industry and, and, and a competitor. And obviously, Cobart's been a very, you know, great stock for a very long time. So, what are your thoughts
1: on that spinoff? I love the industry. I looked at it, uh, you know, this because we've talked about it. I'm not as sure as everyone else is that, um, that IAA auto auction, uh, whatever it's called, IAA insurance insurance, options? yeah, okay, yeah. uh, will have the same uh margins as Cobart, but it might. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are valuing that stock as if it's going to look <laughs> it, very similar <clears throat> to Copart. It right? has similar market share and stuff. I The organization, of, from what little I know, the organization of Copart always uh, impressed me a lot more than the uh-huh. organization of insurance auto auctions. Got it. I was very impressed by the organization. And we talked about Junk to Gold and reading that book. But even a lot of the stuff in that book, I think you could get from earnings calls and stuff. I was just impressed by the company, just as a company, actually. Um, and sometimes that matters. Even if you have similar market share and stuff, I think sometimes you can have better margins and things in a business that i think is um uh i I like the organization better that's all i'm gonna say yeah Mm -hmm. and then i guess what are the qualities in spinoffs that
0: you think um you know kind of could help i guess lead to it being you know is it like focusing on the business first because sometimes spinoffs you know the prices could you know come out and, Mm -hmm. and look incredibly cheap but is it just the business and really like the business and value it as if you would value any other company from the business perspective. I mean, I'm trying to. I mean, what do you think people should
1: look for? I guess when um, you know evaluating spinoffs. I would always look for the thing of that it's actually a good business, but it's been hidden in some way. I mean, we talked about like NACO, which is the remaining part. We talked about BWX Technologies, which was technically the remaining part. I think that they renamed it, and the other part got the old name. Uh, but I uh, I think it's the business versus the price. People are often attracted by the price and the price on a leverage basis for the spinoffs. And they're always looking at just like the next 12 months or something, right? Yeah. It's very short term. That's my biggest concern with the spinoffs is that people always talk about them very short term. So they're like, HBB spins off. And HBB is a good example. Hamilton Beach brands. So um Everyone liked that business, which they thought that they would price on, like, the basis of the multiple, what it would be. Yeah. That business was actually taking on a bit of debt and paying out a dividend to NACO on that. So it would be, like, more conservative than it was before. They liked the business that had... just more competition and stuff. I mean, as you can tell, I always like the business has less competition. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. I was like knack or BW so you really, I'm but you're coming ones that don't have competition, right? Mm-hmm. But again, it's like getting
0: back to KLXE. It was it was incredibly cheap. It, at least it looked incredibly cheap, right? But you didn't like the business itself. So it and really I thought comes they were going like...
1: to do stuff. That's the same reason why I got out of the only reason why I got to be uh, Babcock and Wilcox Enterprises, B and W Enterprises, is they started doing new things, and that scared me. And I don't want to be in a business that's doing that. Yeah, sure. And uh, the the same thing with KLX uh, Energy. They were like acquiring more companies and stuff in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. And if you trust them and you trust the operators and you think they're really smart and they're doing all the right things and whatever, if you trust their judgment, then um, just like if you trust the judgment of the people at uh, B&W Enterprises. But I, I generally bet on the past. I mean, I bet on the continuation of past things that I'm seeing. I think that it's... Uh, I don't bet on change. We've said this many times, and those kinds of companies decided to move in the direction of change. I, yeah. The b the, the w Enterprises thing is exactly the same as Barnes & Noble. I was willing to invest in Barnes & Noble when it was just milking the retail stores. As soon as it really made a big push into Nook, I was out of that. B&W Enterprises, as soon as they, uh, it was clear to me, maybe I wasn't fast enough doing it, but it was clear to me that they were really pushing into stuff that wasn't coal and yeah. stuff, then I went out of it. Whereas a lot of people would like that. Oh, let's get away from coal. Yeah, let's get yeah. away from books that are dying. But we know we can make Make money on that, mm-hmm. and the hardest thing is usually not will there be demand for this in the future. The hardest thing is can this be a good profitable business for us? Yeah, yeah. There's growth. We can. We all know what will be big industries for growth for ten years from now. We just don't know what companies will be making money on them and how much. That's always the hard thing, you mm-hmm.
0: know. And you have said, I mean, the only times that you typically sell is when you know you made. Uh, a wrong decision or it's a capital allocation so when you're talking about Barnes Noble and you knew that they were going to invest in Nook mm-hmm. you obviously didn't agree with that capital allocation so you, yeah. you know,
1: got out of it and we could talk about we've passed on tons of spinoffs I mean I've I looked at Garrett Motion I looked at um, uh, the Resideo the spinoff from Honeywell and all those things some of it is price too I mean if they spun them off at crazy low prices some of these I'd consider Yeah, um, Resideo I might consider if it had been spun off at a really low price it was spun off at a much more normal price so people bid it up quickly um, I mean If you look at what NACO, the remaining part of it was left at on the actual day that it spun off, now it went up fast. But um at that brief moment it was very cheap. Mm -hmm. Um and so that makes things easier, you know? Sure. Um uh Things like HPB and stuff, it's not that it's terrible or anything, but after but that's a kind of expensive not it's not that it was expensive, but it wasn't super cheap for a spin-off or yeah, something. Sure. So it just is attracting so much attention, I feel, from value investors and stuff. I mean NACA, this coal company that had this mix with this HBB thing, it should have been the, the HPB should have spun off at some incredibly low price because um, it just should have been completely under the radar. But people were already writing about it, investing in it and stuff in a run up before the spin-off. You know, mm-hmm. they get attracted to it because it's a spin-off. Sure. It, it, some of the spin-off stuff lately has been it's like an IPO for value investors who focus on this area it actually draws their attention to it and they start thinking about it before then yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so. and naco had some on that yeah Heiser, Heiser, yeah. Heiser, yeah. Yeah. yeah they spun that off what are your far. thoughts on just the spinoff market going forward I don't know i'm not i just maybe it'll get better again but lately i just i don't feel like there's a lot of uh, good things happening in there uh-huh. and i just because i feel like everyone thinks that there are good things sure. and so as soon as that happens well then that defeats the whole purpose the sure. reason why spinoffs were attractive before now there is always this one thing which is that companies spinning off does indicate that they care about shareholder sure value and, yeah. stuff. and it absolutely does i mean that's one of the indications with the naco thing is they they broke up by spinning off one company and then several years later, they spun off the other company. Yeah, and they, you know, and by doing that, that does show that you're not just trying to build an empire and whatever. And it is still that indication, just the w- same way that buybacks could be or something. Uh-huh. But I think the same thing about buybacks. I used uh, I think buybacks are less of a positive signal now than they used to be, and I think that spinoffs are less positive than they used to be because people are writing about them, talking yeah. about them, thinking that they are. Po- once people believe that, then it's no longer as as interesting that way. It's not as idiosyncratic to do it. It's not, it's more conventional now to spin things off. So it's become an area that's like, it doesn't tell me as much that the company is really interesting and it attracts way too much attention. It's not as overlooked. Mm -hmm. We thought there would be more overlooked spinoffs than there have been. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the other thing is just from our perspective and other people disagree with this in terms of debt stuff, you know, um, a lot of the economy doesn't have a lot of debt in it, but public companies uh or just american corporations have been adding to the amount of debt they have and they've been um so i mean i don't know where the bonds are on, on K L X E, but um or i guess their leverage loans or something but uh no i think they did a bond issue uh, anyway it's not i don't think that company has been solidly investment grade or anything for uh, any meaningful amount of time it so clearly it's been willing to take on a lot of debt um and a lot of these spinoffs have meaningful amounts of debt, sort of uh, more than we would like. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them do. I mean, it's, I've said that before. It's become completely standard that it just seems like if you're going to do a spinoff, you've got to put three times debt to EBITDA on it, even if that was never what you did before. That's sure. what you do when you spin something off. Mm-hmm. That's just sort of what the playbook is now. Why do you think that is? It's a way to extract value mm-hmm. because the company either had debt that it onloads onto it or the company can pay itself a dividend by doing that um you know so I, I mean that's not a great thing yeah totally. but i don't know that i want to buy the thing that they're putting the debt on and so so you'd way. be yeah. and sometimes i think they put the debt on the thing that is less yeah to be carrying it yeah sure but you know maybe people disagree with that but i i don't know i in a couple of these cases i think they put the debt on the thing that was less capable of holding the debt which i mean not that that matters to us we're not uh bond investors and stuff but the that is a little worrying that sure. way too. It's a way of doing that that protects the the debt holders less so, on the worst company. So focus
0: on the business first. Yes and hopefully that business doesn't have competition mm-hmm. um,
1: and then what else? Stay away look from for companies with debt not Look for dead. the overlook stock in whatever uh-huh. it is. So look for the one that's getting less attention. So if yeah. it's the remaining company look at the remaining company. I always look seriously at the remaining company. I don't, like I said, statistically I haven't seen things that say that the remaining company actually outperforms or anything but to me it interests me. Um, I think smaller spinoffs probably are generally better. The the ones that I've seen that I really don't like the spinoffs are very big, very well known companies spending things off. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and I, and. Make sure you always adjust the things for the leverage. Look at the enterprise value. So many of these are, oh, it's really attractive. And you look at it and it's like, it's eight to 10 times EBITDA or something. But yes, on a leverage basis, it looks cheap. Mm -hmm. But you could have done that before. You could put leverage on the remaining company. You could put, you know, I mean, we wouldn't suddenly put a much higher value, I hope, on the public company if it had just decided, oh, we'll borrow all this money and recapitalize ourselves. But maybe you would. I don't know. Uh, So yeah, I'd be very cautious about debt that way. And I'd be very, very cautious about things that intend to. To after this off start changing things rapidly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, acquiring lots of things, doing I, that. That stuff always worries me. Yeah,
0: got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself. If you're watching at YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a rating review. Check out all of our work at FocusCompound.com. Jeff blogs about ideas. Lots of new ideas going up there, um, and then there will continue to be a lot of ideas going up there as well. We are going to be uploading a podcast Monday, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, so if you want to follow along, like I said, hit that subscribe button. Well, thank you everybody so much for tuning in. We will see you in the next podcast. Take care. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors that focus compounding capital management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along.